You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Caleb Wilkinson. Well, good morning, everyone. To you moms, let me say again, happy Mother's Day. And for those of you who I haven't met yet, my name is Caleb, and I get the joy of being one of the pastors here and also of opening up God's Word this morning. This morning, we are going to continue in our sermon series addressing prominent cultural idols. We're calling the sermon series One True King. And this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 16 to look at the pleasure idol. One way to understand an idol is to watch what life looks like when that idol sits on God's throne. So I want to begin with an imaginary exercise to imagine life with God replaced by the pleasure idol. Let's imagine Psalm 16 as a sort of throne and consider what it looks like for the pleasure idol to sit on it. I've composed something called an anti-Psalm 16 to help us consider what it looks like for pleasure to rule over us. So you can follow along on the screen. I'll read it now. Keep me comfortable, O pleasure, for in you I take refuge. I say to pleasure, you are my main good. I have no good apart from you. As for the comfortable ones around me, they are the ones I most admire. The sorrows of those who run after the God of the Bible shall remain. I won't make their commitments to self-denial, nor consider the unbearable thought of carrying a cross. I choose pleasure. I'm made for comfort. It's my everything. When I'm comfortable, I am living the good life. Pleasure is so, so good. It helps me escape hard days. When I'm not experiencing it, imagining pleasure comforts me. I've set pleasure always before me. Because it's so very accessible, I won't be shaken. Therefore, I amuse my heart always, and I'm always at ease. Pleasure won't completely abandon me on my deathbed. When I get ready to breathe my last, I will be satisfied if I've lived life to the fullest, eating, drinking, and being merry. I've found the path of life. In my presence, there is fullness of joy at my hand are pleasures galore. Now, some of you might be saying, wow, he's got my number. And others of you might be saying, this sounds ridiculous. But here's the thing. Entire worldviews throughout the history of the world have been built on ideas like this. Apiricus, a very influential and ancient Greek philosopher taught that pleasure is our ultimate good, our ultimate goal, and our first good. The inscription over his school read, Stranger, here you will do well to tarry. Here our highest good is pleasure. And before him, Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, test drove pleasure as a legit contender to be life's highest goal. And more recently, Sigmund Freud, the father of secular psychology, advocated for what he called the pleasure principle. Okay, the pleasure principle seeks to summarize all human motivation like this. 
we're always either moving towards pleasure or escaping pain. Okay, this simplifies things to think about it like that. We're always either moving toward pleasure or away from pain. And we'll only ever choose to go through pain to get a deeper pleasure. Now, it might be helpful for you not to be thinking of this word pleasure as only the mountain highs in life, but also of the ordinary, normal comforts. So one way to look at the pleasure principle is to say we're always either moving towards comforts or away from discomforts. People lived as though pleasure was our main good across history in the masses because without God, this makes a lot of sense. And the Bible predicts this would happen. In in 2 Timothy 3, listen to what, what Timothy tells the church, or what Paul tells Timothy, I'm sorry. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Listen, for people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Okay, this is a great definition of the pleasure idol, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, lovers of comfort rather than lovers of God. And before we keep going and think that this is a problem out there with those not in the room on their boats right now or waking up to a heroin hangover, listen, let's take pause. Timothy says that we can have the appearance of godliness and yet love pleasure more than, more than God. We can be in church today looking all godly and yet love pleasure and comfort more than God. And, and we need to just admit it. We live in a, a land of comfort and we're at great danger of falling more in love with pleasure and comfort than we, and falling out of love with God himself. We're in danger of falling more in love with comforts and pleasure from God and falling out of love with God himself who gives him. Now, I want to be clear from the start, pleasure is not bad. Pleasure is not bad. It's a very bad God. Like all idols, it will never fail to fail you. But the pleasure principle is true. The problem is that we rarely work it all the way through. And Psalm 16 is here to help us do that, to work it all the way through. And when we work it all the way through, we see that we move toward God. Psalm 16 is going to show us that pleasure in God, pleasure in God is greater than the pleasure God, aka the pleasure idol, okay? Pleasures in God are greater than the pleasure God. So we're going to have a bit of a contest this morning. We're going to let pleasure, the pleasure idol have a chance to sit on the throne of Psalm 16 and, and see how it does. But, spoiler alert, this is, this is what it's going to show us. Pleasure in God is greater than the pleasure God because with God we have a wider comfort. We have a deeper experience and we have a further hope. So let's start with a wider comfort. 
Exalting pleasure as our main good makes a lot of sense, okay? After all, we're made to be comfortable because we're made for Eden. We're wired for pleasure, and God's filled the world with pleasures, pleasurable sights and sounds and smells and feelings. God filled his creation with pleasure, and he made us to enjoy it. And so the more the merrier seems very natural. But the world's also broken. It's not as it should be. Because of our sin, it's also filled with pains and discomforts. Craig just prayed about one, one, a big one. It's filled with pains and discomforts that are unnatural for us who are made for paradise. It makes sense to try and avoid these invaders. But here's one of the big problems with the pleasure idol. For now, we're stuck in this brokenness. No matter how hard we try, we can't escape. And if pleasure is our main good, if you're only able to have comfort when you have pleasure, then when adversity comes, you'll lose all comfort. Your comfort will be so limited, always in jeopardy, always in a narrow space with a cliff on every side. But God gives us a wider comfort. Listen to verses 1 through 4 in Psalm 16 with me. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delights. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. When we embrace God like this as our main good and our refuge, refuge our comfort gets infinitely wider. In, in you I take refuge. I have no good apart from you. This is good news because there's no place God can't go. Everywhere we go, at all times, God is there, which means that we have the refuge of our main good every place we go, in adversity and in prosperity, in pleasure and in pain. The comfort of our main good is with us. Okay, saying pleasure is my first good is like saying I can only have comfort on sunny days, or at least when sunny days are in the 10-day forecast. Our comfort becomes as fickle as the weather. But when God is our first good, we can have comfort every day, sunny and stormy alike, no matter the forecast. And this is why Paul tells the Corinthian church, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Okay, pleasure in God offers a wider comfort. It extends past just the sunny days to all days. And there's more here. If pleasure is your main good, your God, you'll desperately seek to escape every cloudy day because you won't be able to bear them. You'll be unable to suffer. You'll run after whatever pleasure you can because for you, there is no other possibility of comfort. And in the end, this will only cause more problems for you. 
Psalm 16 says that when we chase pleasure for refuge, our sorrows won't decrease. They'll increase. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. The pleasure idol destroys individuals. It it makes us unable to suffer, and it only multiplies our sorrows. It's it's easy to see this when we watch people trying to escape deep pain with the pleasures of drugs and alcohol, only further, only further ruining their lives. And, and maybe this is some of you in this room. You've only increased your misery with drugs and alcohol. And it may be ever so subtle, just the extra glass of wine or just take, continuing taking the pain pills from the surgery last year without anyone knowing about it. Just to take the edge off. Just to make life a little more bearable. But you're experiencing the sorrow of hiding, of isolation. Now, whether this is you or not, can you see that your sorrows tempt you to run to pleasure rather than God? Can you see that the discomfort of your anxieties and disappointments invoke strong desires to escape even to more acceptable forms of comfort and ease and distraction? For me, it doesn't take major suffering for this to work out in my life, just life's everyday stressors and demands, the list of house and yard work, when the check engine light comes on, when I'm preparing to teach a class or a sermon like this one. Those things put pressure on me, demands. There's things to be done, and, 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 and I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. Stress is uncomfortable. And so I naturally want to escape it. I want to escape it with things like food. So when I'm stressed, I take ridiculous amounts of snack breaks, ridiculous amounts. And you might not Guess that by looking at me, but I run a ridiculous amount too, and, uh, and I'm, I'm not stressed a ridiculous amount of time. But, uh, but anyway, when I do, I, 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 while I get temporary relief, I just make things harder. I just drag on the work and add pressure. That's, that's one way the pleasure idol will multiply our sorrows. It will make us unproductive. It will make us unable to deal with stress and boredom. I've made much progress here by the grace of God, but this went very bad for me in college. Um, I, you know, with the the demands of student life, I ran to binge eating to escape and was bulimic for three years. And while I um, got temporary relief from a 12-page paper with a pint of ice cream, it only added further further sorrows to an assignment that was still due. The, the pleasure idol will never fail to fail, to fail you. In the end, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. What comforts do you run to instead of God? How does this multiply your sorrows? Running to pleasure makes sense. 
but running to God makes even more sense because he won't increase our sorrows. Yes, we'll have to face them, and they may remain. Often when we turn to him in our discomfort, we forego the gratification of instant relief, and we wait in it. But, but listen, we wait for the God of all comfort, who, listen, actually comforts us in any affliction. His comfort is compatible, even deepened in our pain. It's a wider comfort. And one way we get this comfort is by going to his people. Verse 3 says that the saints are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So when we find God as our greatest pleasure, it changes the way we view his people. Our delight isn't in them instead of God, but because of God. Okay? So we should expect to find much comfort in people who find their main comfort in the source of our main comfort. So if, if you're walking through adversity, if you don't know where to go, if you're done with your comfort escape, your pleasure escape, consider running to God's people. Consider running to God's people expecting to find comfort there because they know the source of all comfort. It's a wider comfort. Well, the next reason pleasure in God is greater than the pleasure God is because God also gives us a deeper experience, okay? Our hearts are like water. Water naturally gets, finds, it goes to the lowest point, finding the path of least resistance. And the default of our heart is like water. It's going to naturally try and build the most comfortable lives we can along the most comfortable paths we can. And, and the truth is that we live in an age and a culture where there's never been more easy paths to pleasure. Entertainment and amusement abound. We stream our favorite flicks without commercials anytime. Video games provide constant excitement and adventure. Our, our phones are tools of pleasure customized for me. Escape from boredom's never been closer. I can be amused anywhere at any time and it's just a hand reach away. So I don't have to face the inconvenience of waiting in line like I used to or the unpleasantness of going to the bathroom or uh, the weariness of another traffic jam on the way home from work. My phone can transform any moment of discomfort into a moment of amusement. Now, this isn't all bad. Phones and video games are a gift. Phones and video games aren't the problem. How and when and why we use them is. When we use them this way, when we, when we set amusement always before us to escape everything we dislike is the problem. And part, so much of the problem is that this only leaves us with a shallow experience, okay? Pleasure isn't the problem. Shallowness is. C.S. Lewis describes the problem well. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. 
we are far too easily pleased. Setting amusement always befores us trains us to live in slums of shallow experience and triviality. Our hearts are half-hearted and lazy, and with every scroll, with every buzz of dopamine, our phones are only farther training us to be lazy and just settle for low buzzes. They're so much more accessible. But the pleasure idol destroys us. It destroys us because it makes us shallow. And it doesn't just destroy individuals, it destroys community because if I'm shallow, all I can ever do is contribute to a shallow community where we just run after low buzzes and live in triviality and superficiality. And, and this is how else it destroys community. Listen, I, w- I want to tell you a secret. If you want the most comfortable experiences, avoid people. Relationships are much, much messier than amusement. Relationships are hard and uncomfortable and awkward. And it's become far too familiar of a sight. In a restaurant, friends sitting across from the table with one another, not looking at each other's faces, but putting their face in their phone. Or families waiting for the food to come without talking. Everyone staring at their own device. It's become too familiar of a sight. And if you don't know this yet, please listen to this. People feel more neglected than ever. We're settling for shallow experiences and low buzzes, and we're amusing ourselves to death. We're amusing ourselves to death. But the good news is that though our hearts are like water, water can be redirected and steered. And that's what Psalm 16 shows us. Verses 5 through 8, listen to this. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. Okay, much can be said, uh, but let me point out a few things. First, the original word for pleasant places here is the same word being used in verse 11 for pleasures forevermore. So one way to understand this is to say, when the Lord is my portion, the lines have fallen for me in pleasures. In pleasures. Friends, it's vital we see that God is not against pleasure. He made them. He's their source. We don't avoid the pleasure idol by avoiding pleasure, but by finding more pleasure in him than we can apart from him. God isn't for asceticism. He doesn't tell us to eliminate our desires for pleasure like Buddhism does. More, he tells us to maximize our pleasures. Where do we do this? In him. Skipping ahead a few verses, verse 11 says, in your presence there's fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Okay, friends, God is not anti-pleasure. He's against us being too easily pleased, settling for lives of shallow 
experience. He's against us making mud pies in the slums and missing out on a holiday at the beach. And according to the pleasure principle, all this should move us toward God. And Psalm 16 seems to say this. He concludes, I have set him always before me. The lines have fallen for me in pleasures, so I set him always before me. We can redirect water. How do we do this? How how do we set him before us? The traditional spiritual disciplines are great. Reading our Bibles, memorizing our Bibles, singing and praying and um, doing silence and solitude, gathering here on a, a Sunday morning like we're doing now. They are all ways to set the Lord always before us. But let me highlight a few, uh, few others that have been mentioned the last couple of weeks. Feasting and fasting. And both of these are ways we set the Lord before us. Okay? In feasting, we recognize and celebrate that all good things are from Him. We, we take the pleasurable gifts of food and nature and sex and movies and intentionally follow the path of where they came from, to, to God, to the source of everything good and true and beautiful. Feasting uses pleasures to set the Lord always before us. Okay, fasting has, the similar, has a similar goal. Here, you purposely go without a pleasurable gift in order to remind yourself that the gift of pleasure is an ultimate. The hunger we feel when we skip some meals points us to a deeper hunger for God, reminding us that He's our main good. Fasting uses the absence of pleasure to set the Lord always before us. Okay, just, just think, just imagine, what, what would our family and friendships look like if we set the Lord always before us by regularly fasting and feasting together? Now, however you do this, however you set the Lord always before you, pay attention to the result of it. Verses 8 and 9. I have set the Lord always before me. Listen. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Okay, setting the Lord always before us gives us a deeper and higher experience. It sends gladness deep down into the core of our hearts. It sends our whole being rejoicing into the heavens to God. Amusements can't do this. It can give us a low buzz, but it keeps our feet on the ground. Pleasure in God is greater than the pleasure God because with God we get a deeper, comprehensive, higher, and grander experience. Does that make sense? Are you convinced yet? The most convincing part of the contest is still yet to come. To most clearly see that the pleasure idol will never fail to fail you, we need to keep going. Pleasure in God is greater than the pleasure God because God offers a further hope. Pleasure can certainly sweeten people's days, but there's one day that all the pleasure in the world won't sweeten. It's the day we lie on our deathbeds. A life of living for comfort will, at the very best, allow you to look backwards on your deathbed, satisfied with having lived a life to the fullest. It's good to 
make the best of your days. But if this only leaves you able to look backwards, your deathbed will be ever so bitter. If, if pleasure is your main good, when you cease to live, you're going to lose absolutely everything. You'll have nothing to look forward to, no hope for the future. And it's way too uncomfortable to imagine, imagine this. Holding the hourglass of your life and seeing the last grains fall through. Waiting on the brink of losing all earthly good. It, it's unbearable to think about. So you'll likely avoid these thoughts. One way to avoid these type of thoughts is to pretend like you're self-sufficient now. To act as if in my presence there's fullness of joy. To embrace consumerism. In consumerism, we numb the thoughts of our ends by endlessly accumulating stuff. And it's never been more easy or more instant. It's just one button on Amazon. Hit instant purchase and the, the buzz, the comfort, the buzz of dopamine hits us way before the package. We won't come face to face with the hourglass of our lives because consuming something is much more pleasurable. And so just want to make it clear, uh, try to rope you into the, the, the temptation here because it, this goes beyond material and retail therapy. I'm tempted, I'm prone to consume experiences, vacations, uh, dates, family adventures, that kind of thing. I'm prone to consume experiences. What are you prone to consume? A new house, a new trend, new tech? Why? How is this evidence you're bowing down to the pleasure idol? How is this helping you avoid the uncomfortable thought of your pending death? Our God's given us Psalm 16 to help us here. Listen to the last two verses, verses 10 and 11. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Okay, with God as our greatest good, we don't have to avoid thinking about our deaths because we have a further hope. We won't be holding the hourglass on our deathbeds. We're, we'll be looking out the window, waiting to get to the destination we've been waiting for all our lives. Ten miles, five miles, one mile, now entering fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, certain happiness. What, what, what will it mean that with him there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore? Jonathan Edwards says at least three things. It will mean God will turn even the bad things around for your good in the end. Your good things can't ever be taken from you, and the best is yet to come. Okay, pleasures in God are greater because it, it allows us to look backwards and forwards on our deathbeds. We look back over our lives and say, I won't lose any good. In fact, all those bad things, they'll turn for my good. And I can look forward and say, the best is yet to come. Okay, game 
over for the pleasure idol. The nail is in its coffin. These verses put the nail in the coffin because if you choose pleasure rather than God, you get neither in the end. But if you choose God, you get both. Pleasure in God is greater than the pleasure of God because it gives you a further hope of pleasure. So my friends, let's regularly put our consuming down and ponder our pending deaths. Okay, this is biblical. In, in Psalm 90, Moses asked the Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. This is what David's doing here. Okay, he's considering death and reminding himself that God will not fail him. God will not abandon him in death. As we end here, we need to remember that there's some really great news we haven't made so explicit because we can be even more convinced than David was when he penned this psalm that the Lord will fulfill this for us because Jesus is the fulfillment of this psalm, okay? Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, but he never chased after another God. He ran to the Father for comfort always, even when he was sweating blood, he was so anxious, His life was a deeper experience of pleasure than anyone's ever known. He borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured walking towards the cross his entire life. And he went to that cross to take your place for loving pleasure more than him. He bore the punishment we deserve. There he was abandoned so we wouldn't have to be. But there he also said to the thief on this cross, the thief holding his own hourglass, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's why Jesus died, so that he can tell everyone who trusts in him, today and on our deathbed, truly, you will be with me in paradise. Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. And this hope was secured because ultimately the Father did not abandon Jesus. His body did not see corruption. He was resurrected. And because he was, we will be too. Without the Father fulfilling the psalm to Jesus first, without the resurrection, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But Jesus was raised on the third day. And as our forerunner, he's carved out a path for us to follow after him to fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Okay, in the resurrection, we should hear the pleasure principle screaming. Move toward Jesus. Let's think through the pleasure principle all the way. With Jesus, you're on the path of life to fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So so see and respond to the everlasting reality. Pleasure in God is greater than the pleasure God. There's more delight in God than there are comforts in the world. He gives a wider comfort. He gives a deeper experience. He gives a further hope. So, so let's spend our days setting him before us, going higher up and farther in, into pleasures, pleasures in Jesus, pleasures that won't fail us, pleasures that he wants in all once and for all secured for you and for me forevermore. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.